I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Except it's not Boyd Matheson. It is Leah Murray and Greg Scordas. Welcome to the show. And thank you for joining us, even though Boyd is not here today. So Americans working in the tech industry are losing their jobs. I feel like, oh, my gosh, right? One of them just uh, fired 11,000 people. So the tech industry is having massive layoffs. Um, But there's a part of this that's kind of interesting, that there are tech workers in the country, Greg, who are here from other countries on H-1B visas, and then they get laid off, and then there's a wrinkle, right, that is different for Americans. Right, and the H-1B visas, as opposed to the H-2B visas, or 2A visas, are designed to allow what we call highly skilled workers in, quote, special occupations to work in the U.S. So they're they're work visas. if If you have a skill... And it's something that isn't really readily available among the, the U.S. public. You can come here and get a, a work visa and and work in that tech industry or work whatever your specialty is. Those workers are currently being laid off. And that particular visa has has a sort of a string at the end of it, which is once you're not working, you've got 60 days to get out of the country or to find other similar work. Right. So we've got Fiona Harrigan, the assistant editor at Reason.com, who covers immigration and foreign policy to help us figure out what's happening. Welcome to the show, Fiona. Thank you for having me. All right. So what do we know? Like, give us the state of affairs. What do we know about foreign tech workers getting laid off? How many people are we talking about? Right. So I don't think it's any surprise that the economy and labor market are really weird right now. And these big tech giants, Facebook, Google, Stripe, Slack, uh, they're laying off a lot of workers. Twitter, another notable example. Uh, And these companies have historically relied on this H-1B visa program. It's a a temporary work pathway uh, through which companies can employ highly skilled foreigners who can kind of fill these jobs that Americans aren't necessarily equipped to. Uh, think high-level programming and software jobs. Um, and they've relied on this program for a lot of years, which means that they have very high numbers of foreign workers on these visas. Uh, these people who are being laid off now, it's, it's tough to track down exactly how many of them are on these visas. Uh, my vague understanding is that it's, it's on the order of kind of the low thousands, high hundreds for some of these companies. Uh, so combined, it's, it's a good number. Um, they now have this ticking time bomb, essentially, where they have 60 days to find a new job. Uh, Obviously, the holidays are coming up. People aren't exactly hiring at the clip that they would be normally during the year. So it's it's really turned into a very stressful situation for a good number of workers who now might have to deport themselves if they can't find a new job. 
Fiona, the Department of Labor and the Biden administration seem to give us these monthly or, or every other month reports sort of bragging at the number of new jobs that have been created in the United States. And, and the numbers are always in the hundreds of thousands. But the tech industry has been the exception to that. Do we do we know why that's occurring and why so many tech workers are being laid off? I think it's contracting right now. Um, you know, there there's a lot of speculation about uh, the size and prospects of places like Twitter and Facebook. A lot of these uh, crypto and financial-oriented businesses uh, scaled up their hiring pretty dramatically earlier this year and also last year coming out of the pandemic. And I think the uh, returns on a lot of the investments that they've made have just not been as strong as, as might have been expected. So there's kind of this, this adjustment that's taking place. And unfortunately, it has a very human toll. Whereas a lot of these jobs that are being created are in more, you know, hospitality, restaurants, things that are coming back uh, as a result of recovery from the pandemic. So tech has just recovered in a very strange way and in, in many ways hasn't recovered really dramatically at all. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. I appreciate very much what you just said there, Fiona, that there's a very human toll, right? And it's it's 60 days in that rule, but it's actually not really 60 like you have in your article because you have to transfer. So now I've got to find an employer who actually needs my skill, and then I've got to transfer my visa to them. This, you know, just seems really stressful. So I'm wondering if you could talk to us about what are some reforms we need to help kind of, you know, I don't know, fix that or accommodate that very human toll. Obviously, one of the biggest ones is to just extend this limit, right? 60 days is is pretty dramatic for anybody looking for a new job in a strange economy, much less with an immigration implication at the end of it. Um, But there's another issue here, and it's that uh, a lot of the workers who come over on H-1B visas are Indian. And, you know, a lot of people, they'll mention why stay on this temporary work visa forever? Because a lot of the workers who are on that visa have been renewing that visa for decades in some cases. And a lot of that is that they can't adjust to permanent status. So while they would like to live here in the U.S. and have some kind of certainty as to their presence, uh, there are these things called country caps on employment-based green cards, where one country's nationals can only make up 7% of the employment-based green cards issued in a year. But because so many Indians are already applicants to these visas, to these green cards, and are waiting in line, uh, you know, now uh, an Indian who would apply today for an employment-based green card could be in for a wait of decades or could even die before they get their visa. So that's really how drastic the situation is. And there are some efforts to uh, kind of up that number, the 7% cap, um, they really don't have fantastic prospects in Congress, unfortunately. But those are things that would really improve the situation for many people. Fiona, I'm also looking at your article, and you indicate that there are only 85,000 of these particular H-1B visas issued per year, and they're issued for three years. So I'm assuming that means there's about 250,000 total. That seems like an awfully small number. And the three years also seems like a, a fairly short period of time 
Is there any discussion that perhaps uh, the Department of Labor or Congress can extend either of those numbers? You know, we think about these uh, these numbers in the context of the U.S., unlike other countries, sets immigration caps rather than targets. So Canada is a good example of a country that sets targets, and, and they've just been dramatically successful at bringing in high-skilled workers uh, and, and just recovering economically in really impressive ways. Uh, you know, it, if it's an imperfect program, an imperfect visa program in the U.S., then upping the number is, is still just going to put more people in this in this problem. So it really is going to take a lot of systemic reform to the way that we process people and retain people and, and allow them to stay and build lives here. Okay, so we've been talking about high-skilled immigrants, but Fiona, I know you also have an article about low-skilled workers, right? So yes, I love, what did you say? It's think software and programming, right? But in your article, you said we also need people who can swing hammers. Can you talk to us about what's happening with there? Like what is our need for low-skilled workers as well, and what are the problems in that particular group? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think a lot of conversations about immigration are, are so polarizing that uh, at least some, some on the right in Congress say, okay, well, we can point to high-skilled immigration as an area of common ground, right? Taking in the best of the best, the entrepreneurs and, and the software engineers and the people who are very, very likely to immediately excel in these technical fields. Whereas there's a really, really important uh, lack of focus on low-skilled immigrants. And I say low-skilled in in quotation marks because obviously these people are still very, very skilled just in different ways. So we think about things like the H-2A visa program, which brings in agricultural workers. Uh, There's some legislation on the books right now. Uh, It's kind of up in the lame duck session and, and might become something. It's unclear as of yet. Um, that would reform that program and help bring more farm workers. And that's something, uh, if you think about how difficult it is for farmers to get the assistance they need, and and so many of them will tell you, yeah, I I use this program, but they come too late, and it's just such an arduous process, and I wish I could just bring the same people in year after year and not have to go through all of the rigmarole. That could really help uh, improve crop yields and bring down prices on food in a time of really high and, and unfortunate inflation. Uh, Same for the construction industry, where housing is is so important and so expensive to build. Uh, Just progress, bringing those people in. These are are equally important, in my view, to bringing in the the so-called best of the best in STEM fields. Is there a distinction between the ag workers and the construction workers in terms of their visas? And does the country issue different types of visas to those particular groups? Yeah, so we have the H-2A visa program, which is uh, temporary agricultural workers. And then there's also H-2B, which is also temporary, meaning it doesn't carry a pathway to citizenship or anything like that. Um, But it does bring in people for these short stints. um, And that's for people in non-agricultural fields. Fiona, thank you so much for joining us today. Fiona Harrigan is an assistant editor at Reason.com. So she makes... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, she makes a really good point, yeah, right? It's absolutely. not that we need STEM field people only. If we could solve inflation and food prices, if, right, we had more farm workers, we need to be reasonable about these conversations and have, like, reasonable immigration reform. And if you're looking at food prices and construction prices and just getting people to come and do construction work in your in your neighborhood, you know that we need more workers in that sector. So uh, hopefully the, the feds will open that up a little bit.
Yeah, so coming up after the break, we were just chatting about tech sector layoffs. Let's have a conversation about whether we're heading for another dot-com bust or maybe even it's over for social media. More after the break. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. 